Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. The home of all things horror, haunted, and Halloween-y. My name is Mr. Craigers, and I am one of the hosts of Splatter Chatter. Yes, he is, and my name is Miss Melmoy, and I am one of the the only other hosts of Splatter Chatter. Yes, she is. It's us and a spooky ghost. It's us and Elijah. Yeah. <laughs> we like went back and listened to all the episodes, and there was like a third voice there the whole time. That would be that would make that's like a an audio drama, like a, a like a spook, like a horror podcast or audio to. drama podcast. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, be on the lookout for Splatter Chatter's new spin-off horror audio drama. Yeah, we're doing also our first, called Splatter uh, Chatter. <laughs> our first fictional podcast. It's it real meta. Mm-hmm. Um no, just kidding at the moment, Chad. There's no audio drama. It's just the regular good old show. Uh, which this right now, uh in the here and now, that is, is episode 110, if you can believe it. And in honor of um, the onset of summer and the sort of fun summer activities people get up to, as well as LGBTQ Pride Month here in June, we're going to take a look at last summer's uh, queer slasher camp horror film. Something. Uh, they slash them mm-hmm. a peacock original <laughs> which like i don't know if that was the intention because i think it was like no because they filmed during covid because it wasn't even like oh covid happened we need to release it on because they filmed in 2021 yeah they filmed it yeah so no it was just a choice to release it it was yeah peacock and i, I found myself wondering because like when I went through and I was sort of looking for anything about like potential box office type things and because it was a streaming thing, there's not. Right. Fun. That's what the whole, uh, the whole strike is about. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I was like, I wonder how this would have played in theaters. Yeah. It's interesting because there's, the Kev- there's like the Kevin Bacon aspect. Right. Um, but then there's everything else about it. Right. And I'm like, I just, I, I don't know. I I don't know. But uh, we have what we have, and we will definitely be getting into what we have shortly. Uh, but before we uh, pack our bags and head off to camp, we're going to do a read, watch, listen, and horror headlines check-in. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Mal, anything that you've been up to that you want to give a shout out to? Well, I finally watched The Pope's Exorcist. Yes! <laughs> Which um, I mentioned to you my favorite part. I won't mention yes. it here so that everyone can go experience that little nugget for themselves. Give um, them like a hint. It, <laughs> just when you think the film's like looking at the history of Catholicism and being like self-reflective and aware, just don't be fooled by that. <laughs> <laughs> is what it is. Um, I will say I wish, like, whatever was happening in the last five minutes, they had leaned into hard for the, like, preceding 85 minutes. 
Because yeah. I think that would have been a much better movie to have this, like, Avengers-style whatever the hell was happening at the end there. Which clearly is the setup for, like, the, the, the sequel. I am ready for the Pope's Exorcist cinematic universe. I say bring yeah. it on. I'll watch, yeah. like, six of these. Which <laughs> is great. I just wish, I was like, can we have had that, enter- like, like just ramp, take everything you did in this movie and uh-huh. in the next one, ramp it up to, like, a million. Yeah. Um... And it was also funny because Russell Crowe was in Thor Love and Thunder, where he played Zeus, like the the Marvel character of Zeus, who's also, you know, Zeus. Um, And he's like, plays him very like, like, it's a very comedic role, but he does the same like accent. So it was very hard for me to like, imagine different. Um, Like what? (laughs) Yeah. But um. No, that was fun. And I've started reading, start, I'm like halfway through, more than halfway through at this point, reading Lone Woman by uh, Victor Lavelle, um, which like gave me like, not, it's not even a nightmare. I just had a weird dream the other night that I like moved to like the middle of nowhere, Arizona. And I think it was because like I read this book before bed. Probably. Yeah. Um, but it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting premise um that book so mm-hmm. it looks good. So Sounds good yeah no I've, I've enjoyed it so far and it's like a different like you know i love like settings like that like not even like wild west because it takes place in like super rural like homesteady montana in like the early 20th century and like i always found that stuff kind of interesting yeah um, that like little house on the prairie-esque yeah exactly yeah um but that's been good and then i think that's it because i'm waiting for evil dead to go on streaming because i know it's just gonna be easier for me and everyone involved if i watch it that way (laughs) (laughs) and you have the ability to pause yeah and like take a lap or like (laughs) open the blind in my living room and like or throw yeah, out light in. Throw out your cheese grater. <laughs> I'm like wait, I'm waiting for it. But and unfortunately, I th- and I think I may have alluded to this before. The cheese grater was a bit too hyped. Yeah. Um, it's it's gross when it happens, but it's not. I was expecting even more. So, yeah. uh, uh, what about you? Um, I, let's see. Um. Oh, so I saw I watched Consecration okay. um, that came out a while ago, and now I think it's on Shudder. Um, religious horror, really, sort of like big this year. Mm-hmm. Between that, Pope's Exorcist, and we've got the Exorcist remake, yeah. or the next sequel, whatever it is, coming out later this year. The requel. The requel, yeah. Yeah, I think it's officially a requel, right? I think so um and that was good and decently creepy i also finally caught renfield uh that's Mm. now streaming on peacock that was a very fun one it was fun yeah it was fun i could have done i kind of wished that we had a little bit less of the corrupt cop oh yeah the cop story that's like part of like i wish they had done more with the new orleans setting and it feels like they just sort of like offhandedly mentioned that it was New Orleans and that's it, as opposed to like really leaning into that. 
Yeah, because playing with, like, I feel like New Orleans has, like, a sort of, like, vampire culture and, like, a oh. history around that, so. Totally, yeah. I wanted a bit more of that. I wanted, like, just sort of more, like, Renfield-y, Renfield as servant shenanigans. Right. Like, I thought we had a bit more room for that, but it was still, it was still fun and it was cute. Um, and then uh, I also saw The Boogeyman in theaters. Oh, it was good it's um it's like solidly good Mm -hmm. not necessarily great but it doesn't like it's not setting out to be great Mm -hmm. necessarily um some good scares some cool visuals solid lead performance yeah nice excellent excellent so um well that's what we've got going on currently now we're gonna wind the clock back but not too far actually just a year uh i know it feels like so long ago that this movie came out and i because i remember i'll you know i'll talk about this in the the intro bit but i remember watching it and it feeling like it was three years ago yeah it does it does have that feel to it i don't know if it was just because it came out mid panini or whatever but uh, it's time to talk about 2022's They Slash Them. But first, let's take a listen to the trailer. All right, so we're going to open as we always like to do. Uh, when did you first see They Slash Them and what were your first impressions? Um, I watched it last summer when it came out on Peacock, Peacock Original. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew going in, like, I, I think at that point I knew, like, it kind of got, like, meh, like, reviews and stuff. Um, my ultimate impressions we will dive into as we, we talk about it more, but they're not, you know, I guess I would sum this up by saying if this movie came out, like, 10 years ago, at the, like, peak of, like, post-Ryan Murphy, like... Yeah. culture i think it would have hit a lot more with people like people would have really been into it um i feel like i agree with a lot of the reviews that are like this movie wasn't you know it was trying too hard to be like a like after school special or like have a take-home message and you know it's not even that i necessarily disagree with like obviously i don't disagree with the message but it's just like you know, like if the point is to like do a horror movie with like queer characters, like let's let them have the same experiences as non-queer characters, and um, you know that part was a bummer. Agreed. <laughs> I actually I remember so I remember the film dropping. I remember being like intrigued you know like kind of excited for the premise you know love me love me some camp love me some camp mm-hmm. well it's in my favorite fear street was the camp one I thought that yeah was right and you know and then you know throwing the gaze and whatnot I was like of course mm-hmm. and then I remember like instantly <laughs> the discourse was like this is bad yeah and I was like oh and so I actually didn't get around to it for like a while. I think I didn't watch it until like last like fall, mm-hmm. um, like like after Halloween even. Um, I feel like it was like almost Thanksgiving, and I was like, "All right, 
I just gotta know. I just have, I need to know. Um, yeah. And found myself kind of disappointed, found myself kind of, um, bored a little bit. Yeah. It takes a while for things to, like happen in this movie in terms of its right. horror slasher elements, at least. Um, and, and, and just sort of a little irritated. There are some things I like, but they're overall, I don't think that it quite saved it for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can start getting into that when we talk about the sort of reception stuff. Right. Um, Right. But so for those shatterers that don't know, um, the premise of They Sash Them is that we are following a group of um, LGBTQ plus youth who, for one reason or another, are spending a week at a conversion camp. Yeah. And the camp... camp Whistler, Whistler Camp? Camp, camp Whistler. Whistler, Whistler Camp, one of those, yeah. yeah. And the camp takes kind of an interesting approach in that on paper, they're not there to actively or aggressively convert any of the campers, but rather to just demonstrate, I can't remember how it's phrased, but it's something like demonstrate how a gender normative like lifestyle is helpful, healthy for everybody. Obviously, uh, there are more sinister intentions afoot including we find out a masked killer um who starts picking off some of the people at the camp mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that is that is our setup uh a little hot buttony obviously especially setting the story at a conversion camp uh, very much a real thing, conversion camps and conversion therapy. Miss Mel, you have some uh, information yeah. about that. Yeah, so the term conversion therapy is like considered like a misnomer by medical professionals because they're like, it neither converts nor is it therapy. It's <laughs> <Basically laughs> like their, their feelings on it. And like, you know, basically like it, comes from like 19th century like they invent the word homosexuality 20th century sigmund freud um like starts applying people who like are gay to being like um i guess what's called like arrested development in his like weird like yeah basically saying like oh something went wrong with your development so now you're doing this but that wasn't like ever like not everyone like felt that way back then like a contemporary of freud alfred kinsey like considered it to just be a normal part of like psychological development and like really push back on it and that sort of thing regardless like in the 70s there was like the beginnings of like what people used or i guess still use today in conversion therapy stuff which they call um sexual orientation change efforts or soak soaky s-o-c-e and then gender identity change efforts which guys 
G I. Whenever I see an acronym, I'm like, are you wanting me to pronounce it or? Right. Or these, are, these are pronounceable. It's like solid yeah. consonant vowel. Anyway, but um, it goes back to a couple people, Robert Stoller, who um determined who was like gender what he called you know quote unquote gender nonconformity is the result of um like your relationship to your parent of the same sex or lack of relationship was the idea so then richard green this other guy comes in and starts like using these behavioral interventions to like force children to spend more time with the parent of their like assigned gender at birth and like you know have them like really reinforce either like masculine stuff or feminine stuff and these kids like you know it works in the sense that like yeah these kids started behaving that way but like the kids grew up to like really resent their parents and be like depressed for the rest of their lives so yeah. you know i don't know if you can say that worked um but in the 1970s ucla undertook what it called the quote feminine boy project where they wanted to prevent trans identity in young children, specifically children who were assigned male at birth. Um, and basically, um, you know, did it by rewarding gender conforming behavior. Um, and like the main subject they referenced in all their like research as being like, this was such a success, like in their thirties died by suicide. So again, not very successful, um, but in the modern day these organ like these places that do conversion therapy do things and we see like some of this in the movie like you actually see like real tactics that they use specifically aversion therapy which mm -hmm. is you know where they show you images and then you know they shock you or otherwise physically harm you based on like the images they don't want you to associate with pleasure and comfort right. um behavioral therapy which was like you know, we see them in the movie, they separate the assigned male people from the assigned female people, and, like, the assigned male people go out and shoot guns, and the assigned <laughs> female people make pies to serve to the assigned male people later. Um, <laughs> oh. There's a lot. There's also, like, more intense stuff, like brain surgery. Obviously, there's not brain surgery happening in a camp. Like, these are just conversion efforts, like, in a hospital as well. But, like, brain surgery and castration and transplant, which was tried, like, I think once in the, like, mid-century, did not work. Mm -hmm. um, but um, none of this works, for the record. Right. Like, none of this, none of this is a real thing. Um, and pretty much everyone in the medical community agrees on that front. Um, the American Psychiatric Association considers performing or in any way like abetting conversion therapy tactics as a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Um, and, you know, as of 2020, um, you know, at least one survey found that, you know, well over half of the country believes that conversion therapy should be illegal. So. That's good Brief history of it. It's interestingly more modern than I would have thought. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the the stuff behind it has always been there, you know, right? Like there's always like internally in families, like people will be like, you know, clutching their pearls at, at things and trying to like suppress it. But like the organized effort of it is a lot more recent than I would have guessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And these things still exist, which we'll talk about, you know, we can talk a little bit about that later in the analysis section, but
That's kind of the premise. So, like, the stuff that they do in this movie, like, and this is probably some of the tamer stuff, but this is, like, actual stuff that goes on there in terms of, like, you know, what they consider to be quote-unquote therapy. One thing I do think the movie is missing, and a lot of reviewers pointed out, was, like, the political and religious aspect of it isn't really there. Um, It's, like, it's, like, very, very briefly sort of, like, it's like right at the beginning he says something and then he's like and that's the last time we're going to mention the big man upstairs and it's true yeah you know you know which is okay whatever but like why is he doing this yeah like why is his whole like you know we learn that the whole family seemed to have like you know they they clearly like the camp has been in their like family for forever and they've been doing this for well before conversion camps actually existed but um you know and it's like why um that part not being in there is kind of you know i think that definitely hurts the 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 overall like way the movie lands i agree um it makes well i was gonna say it makes our villains very one-dimensional but everyone's kind of one-dimensional in this movie um right and you have that in horror sometimes, especially slashers, uh, where there's usually a high body count. Like, we're not necessarily watching for, like, super in-depth character studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think one of the problems with this movie is that everyone is very sort of surface level. And there's not a lot of the slashery elements either. Because they all survive. They all survive. And you, at least I remember, I feel like, sort of like... You know, we have that like prologue kill. Mm-hmm. Nothing With happens. The real Mary What's Her Face or whatever the yeah. nurse. Yeah. Nothing happens to the campers for the longest time, the longest time, the longest time. The creepy like gardener gets dispatched. And then I was like, oh, nothing's going to happen to any of the kids. Yeah. And it's like, when you know that they're not in actually in danger from like the world of the movie, right? It's, takes a lot out of it yeah well and that also made it obvious who the killer was to me because you pick up very quickly i was like okay the killer's only killing camp counselor and camp staff and the only nice person on the staff is the nurse who they mentioned at the beginning of the movie is new (laughs) so yeah yeah there's not there's not a like mystery element to this whatsoever um yeah, and it's like again, like okay, like you want to have one-dimensional characters, like you said, that's fine. Like that's a thing in in horror. Like you have these trope characters for a reason, but it's like play into that. Like you know, like you can have like you know, like you had the jock character, but you know, sort of like leaned off of that very quickly. Yeah, and you know, you can have like you know, the the sort of, like, promiscuous character. You can have the stoner character. Like, you can have all these people and still, you know, and they can all be queer, and you can pick them off one by one still. Right. That's fine. Right. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, I feel like it's a little bit of, um, and there's been a push, like, recently in, like, the indie horror community recently, like, against the sort of, like, backlash that happens with the bury your gaze trope. Mm. Because, like, I think you'll remember, like, on the internet, like, 
five, six years ago, like people were flipping shit because of um that fucking dystopian show. The one hundred. The one hundred. Yeah. One hundred. I never I knew how you said it. But yeah, I never watched. Yeah, because the yeah, like I I never you know I never watched it. I knew about everything that happened in it because of the internet, but you know a character died in that who was bisexual and was or I don't know she might have been gay and the person she was with was bisexual but anyway it was a queer character who was in a relationship with the main character and she died very a la spoilers but you know if you haven't watched Buffy yet then you won't but very a la like Tara in season six of Buffy like very sudden um and people flipped out and were like you you know like we can't have any good queer romance stories. Like, you know, we hate this, yada, yada. And like not recognizing like, it's okay to like have like tragedy and that sort of thing. Because yeah. it's not like the, the 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 queer character suddenly left the TV show because like the main character was still bisexual <laughs> and yeah, was alive. Yeah. But it got people like really flipping out about this stuff. And there was all these petitions online to be like, bring her character back, like, you know, and do all this other stuff. And I feel like for a long time, people who were very online were like, and who were like creatives in like these spaces were like afraid to have stories like this. Like, and I feel like this movie is kind of like the result of like being afraid to like have any harm come to any queer character or else the internet's going to freak out at you and recently i feel like there's been a pushback on that specifically from the horror community because i've seen a lot of um like short story anthologies coming out about like we want your villainous queer characters we we you know there's one that's coming out i think in the fall called bury your gaze like and it's specifically about like yeah like give us tragic gay horror stories and that sort of thing so it's like we're coming around to it but i feel like this movie was like a result of that sort of like backlash it's like the peak you know yeah. like nothing they are all in a bad circumstance and that they're at this camp and like mm -hmm. in theory are not safe there but as we understand film mechanics, they're not in any danger. You right. know? Then once we know what's actually going on, we know they were never in any danger. And so it's just, and, and, and they're like, they're all like sort of these like lovely, wonderful people. And there's nothing. Right. There's like there's, nobody's like them. being like a dick. Nobody's yeah. like, you know, like, I think the jock character, like, misgenders the one character once, and, like, that's the extent that somebody's mean yeah. to somebody else. Yeah, in the first, like, therapy circle. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, it. yeah, he's, like, the closest we get to, to whatever. And then by the end, he's, like, this sort of, like, redeemed, tragic figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, yeah, I... That's an interesting point, though, and I do think that this movie definitely owes a lot to that backlash in how it's, yeah. in how it's told. Yeah, because I remember that just being, like, that would, that, like, you know, like, made the rounds, like, mm -hmm. on every, like, online media outlet there was. So any, like, screenwriter who's marginally on social media and, like, aware of this stuff, mm -hmm. like, would have seen... Yeah, you know, that intense yeah. backlash. 
I, yeah, and I remember the backlash and like, you know, obviously a bunch of these different sites just posting like lists of all the times like LGBT characters had been killed off in shows and movies and like, it's so terrible, it's so horrible. And I'm like going through some of these lists and I'm like, yeah, but it like really served the story. I, and you know, this is a conversation for another time and you are not the audience for it, but I will defend until like a hill I will die on is Tara's death in Buffy, which people sort of considered to be the original like dead lesbian or whatever they call it um, trope. And like, I like will go to war over like defending that choice from a writing standpoint, because to me made absolute sense. Yeah. But other you know like and this is the thing it's like you know like it you, you appreciate the story for what it is like it's not meant to be like they're frolicking in the field living happily ever after like you know the circumstances that a lot of these characters are in in these different stories like like these are the types of things that would happen you know right. which is why it's so frustrating that you have in this movie you know a lot of the characters end up like well, I guess not. Just two of them end up getting together, like, romantically. And it's like, okay, so kill one of them. Like, you know, give me stakes. Right. Or, like, now you've created stakes, like, give me, you know, you know, something with that. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say something I noticed on rewatch that I feel like serves no purpose other than for the audience is when um they're in the woods when they're what they're in the woods no Uh, that also i did not understand but when gabrielle comes out of therapy and is like crying um right before um like what's oh yeah jordan goes in yeah yeah and i'm like that serves no one no it isn't even in the plot of their story like why would they why would they want them to do that you know like what like right. i remember like what when i sat down and watched it again and i was like what the fuck was that exactly like that just clearly is just there for the audience and makes no sense in the story exactly and it would have been so easy to just have that been a different character in therapy before jordan yeah or just not even have that yeah, or that. Or yeah, you or know, he, Jordan's waiting, still sees Kevin Bacon laying out the cell phones, and then the wife is like, I'm ready for you now. Like we don't even yeah. need anybody before him. We don't need the 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 you know, like the ominous, like we know this is gonna be ominous because this woman's creepy as soon as she starts right. talking. Right. You have to expect her to like get out the, you know, teacup from getting Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. So anyway, we've got a lot of issues with this movie. But let's take it back. Um, yeah. to the writing um, before this movie you know there's not a ton like we mentioned about this just because of the nature of it but um, the director um, John Logan mm-hmm. also is the writer um, and he previously wrote I think for like Penny Dreadful and a couple other places um, like it's not his first like rodeo with horror stuff um but it was originally titled whistler camp and then it was titled rejoice until the final title was selected i think if they had titled it rejoice i would have definitely been more mad about the lack of like religious yeah aspects to it um, but, um about this this movie i feel like 
the title while cutesy mm-hmm. might be the best thing about it and that's a problem right and like i wish like with that type of title like you better give me like yeah 17 dead people <laughs> <laughs> right and the killer better be a non-binary person okay <laughs> slash that it would just like uh, whatever yeah it's a bummer nobody else can use it ever again you know but uh john logan submitted the script on specs uh to bloom house uh jason bloom was inspired to produce it after watching the 2021 conversion therapy documentary pray away um i think i've heard of that yeah i never i clicked it and like took a look at it but i didn't actually watch it um but his inspiration for like the horror elements in writing it came from the combination of the physical trauma and conversion camps along with what he called kind of like the psychological gamesmanship. So he wanted it to be a slow burn at the beginning with the counselors sort of seeming nice. And then they just sort of like slowly chip away and become like more and more insidious, which. Here's my problem with that. Yeah. Because of the nature of the setup, we're not going to have a moment where we buy that the counselors are benevolent. Right. Right. And that's the opening scene with Kevin Bacon, where he's like saying hi to everyone almost feels confusing to me. Yes. Because I'm like, why is this guy who runs a conversion camp being so respectful of pronouns and like, you know, all this other stuff? Like, you know, to me, it just reads as confusing as opposed to like, oh, yeah, like this. I'm going to trust this guy. He's my friend. It's going to be so chill. Like, no, because it's a conversion camp. I'm never going to believe that they have these kids best intentions at heart right like it would have worked if they didn't know this was a conversion camp right like if they had gone somewhere that was like a secret conversion camp which a lot of them i think do um and then they have to like piece it together while they're there yeah and like you know again like i appreciate like yeah okay you wanted the slow burn but like you know and i should have counted like exactly but between the opening and the actual first kill at the camp i'm gonna say it's probably like over an hour it's gotta be it's gotta be like 50 at least yeah and i was thinking like okay like even in halloween you don't have your like first like main character kill for a while but they you know like you've got michael like creeping in the background you've got like cuts cuts away to loomis you know trying to track him down like there's stuff there to like sort of amp up the energy and the suspense like it's not just okay like this guy escaped and for the next hour we're gonna watch Lori like fuck around at school and babysitting and and in halloween we have these characters navigating a space that they and we perceive as safe or should be safe we don't perceive the conversion camp as being safe we know that's a bad place inherently right and the characters know that too that's the other thing too like that the kid, you know, even if we like can have the dramatic irony of being like, oh, I don't know, somebody got murdered on the way to camp, like these guys don't know about it. Like, no, like they know that this is not the place for them. Yeah. Like even without the the murderer. Right. <laughs> Who, which, murderer. by the way, the mask is only for our benefit. Yes. And I do remember reading, um, yeah, because she kills everyone. Yeah. Like she wears the mask and then kills them. Right. She's not, she's not like, she does stalk. She stalks the kids in the woods for some reason. Yeah. The, the wood scene where she's just sort of, cause she doesn't kill anybody after that. She's just around. No. no. 
And it's just like, what was that for? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I did read an interview about the mask bit and how, like, basically, like, um, I don't think he wrote it with the mask. Like, I think, like, oh, based on what I was reading, I think the idea was just sort of you weren't supposed to see, like, mm. you know, in whatever, you know, they just kept the identity secret. And, like, it seems like during production, they decided to do the mask thing just as a sort of, like, oh, to mask killers slash, like, oh, yeah, like, you know. Like all the iconic killers have masks and that sort of thing. So it does seem like that wasn't a writing choice. Okay. At Maybe the very least. A production. Um, you know, and as we mentioned, like, um, you know, the the whole point of this for us was like, or like what we would want from this is to see like, okay, queer characters in a horror setting where they are like equals to like normal, quote unquote normal, the usual, you know, Hets, group of the hets who populate these movies, you know, and that was part of why, like, um, John Logan wanted to write it because he himself is openly gay and wanted to sort of like write a story where you know, like, queer people get to exist in the horror space as more than just like the butt of jokes or like fodder for like the killer or as subtext. And like, I get that, it's just like, you know, okay, like, we, we still didn't get that though. Because, you know, of all the reasons we've mentioned right. before now. But. And then, I mean, I get what he's going for, but it's it's like, but you, but you, but you didn't do that, though. Like, yeah. you didn't treat them like any other character in a horror movie because they weren't in danger. Yeah, and they, like, weren't allowed to be in danger, and they weren't allowed to be, um, like, flawed individuals. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think, I don't think there's a single scene where I'm not on, like, where the audience is not supposed to be on the side of one of these campers. Hey. Yeah. No. Yeah, but tell us a little bit about filming. Yeah, and yeah, so filming, um, like we mentioned before, did occur in 2021, the fall of 2021. Um, lasted, I think, like a month and change um, from like mid-September to mid-October, maybe a little bit more. Uh, the Whistler camp uh, sort of set piece was mostly filmed at Camp Rutledge in Hard Labor Creek State Park down in Georgia. Um, that park is, was and is named for um, the tradition of slavery and enslavement in Georgia. I don't know that I would, you know. I feel like they should change the name of. Yeah, I feel like I don't know that I would keep that name. Um, hard labor. Hard labor also implies voluntary to me. Forced labor. Right. Like, yeah. Just, but, you know, call it what it is slavery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Camp Rutledge is an active summer camp. Um, it is associated with the Peachtree Presbyterian Church and the Roswell Presbyterian Church down in Georgia. Uh, but before that, it was a summer camp for Jewish teens back in the 1950s. Uh, so, you know, I think that helps, like, the, whatever. The, the set, the look of things does feel very sort of lived in. It feels like an actual yeah. 
um, if, if a bit sparse, I, there's usually like a couple more buildings, but that may have been the isolation cabin. Economical reasons. The isolation cabin. <laughs> Uh, Camp Rutledge, because it has been around for a moment or two, also boasts that it's the most haunted campground in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And it's even explored on an episode of Ghost Hunters. Uh, We were talking a lot about Ghost Hunters back in our Grave Encounters episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Lots of folks believe that the history of all the bloodshed in this particular area of the state between the indigenous population and the white colonizers culminated um, in what is known as the Morgan County Massacre is what is to blame for all the restless spirits that supposedly inhabit the campground. Additionally, in November of 1813, Nine people that were living in the area around Camp Rutledge um, and the uh, Hard Labor Creek State Park were killed by local indigenous peoples, presumably in revenge for the bloodshed that had been enacted against them. So, 1813. 1813. Yeah. 1918. <laughs> 1813. 1924. Um, no. So, yeah, an area that interestingly has some pretty negative history attached to it. Yeah. Um, oh, and this is okay. So, this is interesting. So, according to the local legend, there are two primary ghosts that haunt the camp. One is of an older man who many believe is the spirit of one of those nine who were killed uh, during the Morgan County Massacre. Supposedly, this individual slams doors and knocks loudly on the cabin walls at night. Could be the counselors playing a prank. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The other of the two main spirits is supposed to be the ghost of a young boy named Ethan, who's said to be very playful and can often be heard laughing. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> Could you imagine if you were in the fucking woods and like a child ah. just starts laughing pass such a hard pass yeah uh now supposedly ethan was a camper in the area himself back in 1973 wandered off and was never found one visitor to the camp has claimed to find a figure of a small boy in a private cemetery on the property and another claimed to hear something they described as larger than an animal running through the woods before it came to a sudden stop. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. Yeah, they described it as like running and it would stop and then run again and stop. Like, I guess as if it was like sort of following them or, you know, something mm. that I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't mess around with woods noises. I don't like it. I don't like it. Speaking of noises and sounds, um, who composed the music for They Slash Them? Uh, the music was done by Drum and Lace, which is the stage name of, oh boy, Sophia Degli <laughs> Alessandri Huquist. Butchered that. An Italian composer who also scored uh, the I Know What You Did Last Summer TV show. Hulu's Pride documentary series and the upcoming Red, White, and Royal Blue adaptation. I didn't know they were making a movie out of that. They are. Um, what a world, eh? 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we've talked a little bit about the setup of the movie. We've talked a little bit about how we find um, sort of the characters in general. Let's now do our roll call, which will give us a chance to talk about um, either some specific characters some more or some specific performances or both. So at the top of the billing order, we have Theo Germain as Jordan Lewis, our- uh, Basically as- like our, yeah, our main character. Yeah. Which, you know, don't let that fool you into thinking that we get to know more about this person than nope. any of the other characters, or we get to hear their backstory nope. in any particular way. They're just sort of our point of view character. Yep. Yeah, I mean, what, J- Jordan is- non-binary and has to come to camp as part of an agreement to become emancipated. That's it. I, was that them? Yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah. And yeah. like all these kids are of like an undisclosed, like I guess they're supposed to be in high school. I guess they're minor. If you're being emancipated, then you must be a minor. Yeah, you have to be. Yeah, you have to be a minor. So yeah, I guess they're all high school. I mean, they're like, a lot of them seem to indicate that they're dependent on their parents. Like there's a lot of them, like I made a deal that I'll come here so I can X, Y, Z or so that I don't get kicked out. So. Yeah. But that's all we really know about them and that they were um, the sharp shooting champ person. I don't know what the fuck it was called. Um, yeah. Three which years is, running. Which is an interesting detail, but not. That never pays off. It never pays off. You think it's will in a literal Chekhov's gun situation, but it doesn't. Yeah. Like literally they have the Chekhov's gun and then just don't like the, the, the ending scene. I also take issue with thematically and we can get to that later. But mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I take issue with that whole standoff scene. Yeah. It, it doesn't track. Jordan is, um, Jordan is not a particularly interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Jermaine's performance is decent. Though. Yeah. They didn't I mean, have much to work with, but they did a good job. Yeah. And they're not given a lot of room to sort of like play with big emotions or anything. Like Jordan is a very staid character. Um, and... I don't know. They they bring as much nuance as they can. Yeah. So then we have Carrie Preston as Dr. Cora Whistler, uh, the wife of the camp director and on-site therapist. She's like, I feel like she definitely was going for the like, um, like get out, like yeah, like vibes with her. Which, like, we've talked before, we talked about this, I think, in our Silence of the Lambs episode about, like, um, the prevalence of therapist and, like, psychiatrist characters as villains in, in media. And I feel like she's just sort of, and she does a good job at it, but, like, her job yeah. is to, like, embody the um, sort of stereotypical scary psychiatrist. Or I don't even know if she's, she's probably not. She's probably just a therapist. She's probably... Yeah, that woman has ever been to medical school. If that, yeah, she might just be like, yeah, she might just say she's a therapist. They said she's licensed, but they didn't like a license by who. 
Right. <laughs> when he introduces her, he's like our licensed therapist. So I don't know. But, right. Um, but like, yeah, her job is basically just to be kind of creepy. Yeah, and she she kind of has really just the one big scene where she is providing therapy, quote unquote, to Jordan, yeah. uh, and delivers a really unsettling monologue. Um, delivers it well. Um, yeah, and I was gonna say that monologue I feel like is probably one of the better parts of the film. Just like yeah. even the substance of it too, I think was like. Like, yeah, I can see how that would fuck with somebody, like, what she's saying and, like, how rational she's being about what she's saying to these people. And, you know, if you're anyone who in any way had a sort of, like, inkling of feeling like you were in the wrong for your gender identity or sexuality, like, that, like, hearing that in that setting would have, like, definitely, like, fucked with somebody. Absolutely. And I think she delivers a lot of, like, over-the-top dialogue well mm-hmm. in, that, in that monologue. Like, some of those things are, like, sort of so extreme that it could come off, like, ridiculous. Right. She she does imbue them with this very sort of, like, grounded sinisterness. Right. Um, so then we have Anna Klumsky as Molly Erickson, the um, the nurse at the camp, later revealed to be uh, the real-life Angie Phelps, a former camper, come back to get revenge. It sucks because she's so good in Veep, and I feel like it's a uh-huh. testament to, like, how much she didn't have to work with in this, that, like... I mean, I think as the nurse, like, when she's just plain playing the nurse, she does a good job, I think, like, you know, when it's sort of, like, the reveal at the end and sort of, like, her, you know, monologuing and that sort of thing is where you sort of lose me. And I don't even know if it's her. I think it's just, like, the writing of it and, like, just all of it. But, um... Yeah, I think she I think she did good as the in the nurse persona better than as the reveal persona. Yeah, the reveal is I think maybe from a combination of like I don't know. Definitely the writing, definitely a little bit of the direction, a little bit of the acting like not mm-hmm. great. It doesn't play super well. Yeah. Um, for me at least but yeah i like her i like her more as the nurse i like you know she, she's my girl she's yeah um yeah you know, that she does she does that kind of stuff well so yeah um all right then we've got a double billing next the first of which is austin crute as toby o'neill uh Toby, correct me if I'm wrong. Toby is our um he's our over the top gay, right? He's the yeah, he's like the he's the one who made a deal with his parents to come to this camp so they would pay for him to go see Moulin Rouge yes. on Broadway. Moulin Rouge on Broadway, right. Yeah, and so Toby is one of two named um gay campers in the film who is very much sort of, you know, he's theatrical and he's very uh, effeminate and 
it's implied that he's into fashion. He obviously loves musicals. He's um like he would not shock me as a talking head interview on like drag race. I was just about to say, I was like, well, how do I connect him to drag race? Like uh, I feel like that was sort of where they like went in terms of like inspiration for directing the role. Yes. Yes. And to and and to that extent, Toby is our comic relief a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, he gets a lot of good quips and one-liners in there. The performance is is fine. Is you know like there's nothing wrong yeah. there. Um, I just sometimes wonder like I wasn't sure the purpose of Toby's character ultimately. Um, yeah, because at the in the very first um, like group therapy session like he does say something interesting where he's like you know he starts out very like yeah like this is who i am this is what i want to, you know i'm just here so i can go see milan rouge on broadway and then like has like a kind of moment of vulnerability where he's like i don't want to be this way i want to be quote unquote normal i don't want to dress this way or feel you know like so it's like okay like that's an interesting like I and mean, we never get that from him yeah. ever yeah like, and it's like you know oh okay like you know like what is this conflict going on in you yeah it's like but then it's like is there because then he behaves as like one of the most confident campers and right. like who he is for the rest of the movie yeah um so it's very curious there um yeah. not a bad character i was just sort of like what what are we doing here right and then in that building, we also have apologies for a possible mispronunciation here. E Tan. Quay Tan. Quay, I'm not entirely sure. Tan as Alexandra Traven. Who am I like right in hearing that she says at one point that the only reason she's here is because she's writing a paper in college about like she's like sort of going undercover. To write about conversion therapy doesn't she say that at one point i thought the reason she was doesn't she give us like doesn't she kind of have like a she says in the group therapy thing she's like i'm a bisexual and i'm a freak and like that's all she says and then later when she's like talking to what's her face um the the one who got hit on by the um the female counselor and they're on the dock she says oh, yeah. something to the effect of like Oh yeah, I'm just here because I'm writing a paper for college. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, my bad. I thought, um, I thought Alexandra was the trans camper. Oh, is she the trans camper? Am I getting people confused? I'm, I'm going to double check IMDb because they have the pictures. But you might be right. No, I think it is her. Right? Oh no, maybe yeah, it yeah. is the trans character. Yeah, Alexandra is the trans character. Oh, okay. This is this is confusing the shit out of me. This I is the thing too, is because they're not none of them are actual whole characters. Those so are, I, I don't know. I didn't know any of their names. Like, yeah, okay. So Alexander Alexandra is the trans character um, who is outed as such um, when she goes to take a shower. Um, right crack of dawn before the the other um because she's in with the because they make them separate by gender assigned at birth so right. or like, like she doesn't just dis- 
Yeah, yeah. And she doesn't disclose that she's trans, so she goes with, you know, the the women. Um, and then she goes to, yeah, shower, and then she gets caught and sent to the boys' cabin. Yeah. Yeah, and Alexandra is sort of like... I don't know. I guess she sort of becomes like our secondary hero after Jordan. Like she's the Mm -hmm. one that leads the rest of the campers like away um, when they decide that they need to escape and that things are really bad. Right. And she like has a hero moment there. She gets to be like a little bit sassy um, because she's black and it's like it gets like awkwardly tropey there for a little bit um, yeah they do like a whole thing where she's like i forget what they ask her but she's like i'm a black trans woman i can do it in heels or something like that yeah it's something about like are you are you sure you can like walk through the woods are you sure you're going to be okay and she's like i'm a black trans woman i yeah i'll do it in heels yeah. um yeah so there's that. She was good. I mean, she's good. It's just, I felt like, again, like it was the promise at the beginning of like, okay, here's something interesting. Like, here's some, con- you know, like, here's this person. And then it's like, okay, like now that we've, you know, like, okay, moving on. Yeah. Moving on. And it feels also kind of cheap that like she's taken away from the like climax of the story and then yeah, like she's like helping the campers like run away right whatever. and then she comes back for like the weird little like coda at the end where she's like she and jordan have him like what are you gonna do now mm-hmm. um yes okay. all right then we go into another double billing with anna lore as hartman now is kim the counselor or is kim i'm double checking <laughs> <laughs> kim is the um she's the she's suburban blonde yes okay suburban blonde yes so she's the one who is a very what you would call a femme lesbian um not clearly not in the closet because she's here but very sort of like yeah like I come from a religious family and she like clearly like grew up very doing very feminine things because she mentions like she's she makes pies with her mom all the time during the like pie making scene right and then gets like creepily hit on but not even creep like just very creepily like seduced by the um by the female by the female counselor clearly former camper as well as we learn um yeah and that's sort of very like gross and predatory and yeah i thought that was very creepy like i thought that was like it definitely was over the top like as when she started cutting into the pie i was like can we pull it back this is nuts what's the thing she says she's she's like like, i bet you're juicy inside i literally was like ew (laughs) yeah i was like "Mm." and she's like in the pie and it's clearly supposed to be like a sort of like um georgia o'keefe like situation with the pie as she like dips her hands in and like pulls out like pie stuff (laughs) (laughs) it's just like this is okay i was like this started out creepy like definitely creepy in like a well-done way and then it just got over the top i was just like 
just get out of there throw that pie in her face and leave (laughs) (laughs) um but i thought she was good and again like another interesting you know because she's sort of the only you know person like her and like the the jock character whose name i cannot remember do we determine it was toby do we haven't gotten to him yet he's next in this double bill okay um but those two you know like are both interesting to me because they're the two who i felt like were most obviously repressed because they were really presenting like heteronormative like gender normative in a way that some of the other campers weren't and we're like dealing with it um like she's not in denial about her sexuality the way he is but and they both express um kim a little bit more so i think but like they both express the desire to not be yeah they are you know whereas like a lot of other you know i this is my deal to see moulin rouge or this is my deal so i don't get kicked out this is my Right. right that was the thing with um um alexandra was her deal was she was doing this because they weren't gonna let her see her brother oh that's right which is an interesting detail and yeah. then again we don't really use it right right it comes up i think during the like gun scene maybe yeah i can't even remember but um yeah again like all these people have very interesting setups for their character and interesting like tidbits that we get of their backstory that are just never explored. And I think it's because there are too many characters. There are too many characters. Like, pick, pick two or three to be our main characters and that's it. Like we don't have to follow every single person at this camp. I think one of the other things that doesn't like quite make this movie feel like natural to me is that like it felt like what's the writer director logan uh john logan john logan it felt like logan just sort of like laid out the acronym and was like i'm gonna have yeah yeah because we've got a non-binary person we've got a trans person we've got a gay man we've got a lesbian woman we've got a bisexual person yeah and it's not that having all of the representation across the spectrum isn't a bad thing or isn't something you can't do even. It just, in this, it just, it feels like checking boxes. Right. Just to be like, just to be safe almost, not to make them like genuine human beings. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Kim, again, sort of interesting, not a bad performance at all, but what, just what do we there. do with him ultimately? Um, then we have Cooper uh, Cock Coke um, as Stuart Smith Williams, and Stuart is um, your classic, your classic guy, <laughs> your classic guy, right? Your classic closeted jock guy. He's probably jock. bullies people, right? Because he hates himself and. Yeah. And at some point, I guess it has come out that he's gay. Um, we don't, we're not entirely sure how, but he's at this camp because whatever. Um, yeah. He wants like a scholarship or something, or he's going to college. He mentions like needing to make it into his dad's fraternity at college. Right. And I think he's afraid of what's going to happen at the fraternity if he doesn't like quote-unquote get help 
whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah, and Stuart, um, he he gets this kind of like redemptive arc throughout um, where, you know, he starts off, he's really surly being there. He makes like a crack or two about some of the other campers because it's like, whatever, he's pushing back. He doesn't like obviously want to be a part of this community with these other people around him. And then by the end of it, he's in the uh, ambulance with Toby and he's like, yeah, he's family. It, was, like, um, yeah. it, it reminded me of a stupider version of what happens in Remember the Titans. When yeah, it is a stupider version. Is in the hospital. It is a stupider version of that. <laughs> and um, I don't know. I think the, the interesting thing about the Stuart character is that he is the one who receives probably the cruelest, ultimately the cruelest treatment mm-hmm. from the counselors um, in that he, well, one, he's tricked in a very bizarre, cruel way. I, again, going back to this, I'm trying to figure out like, what is the purpose of this? Cause we already know everyone here is gay. Exactly. Queer in some fashion. You don't need a sort of like honeypot situation where you like what do you get blackmail this kid he's already at a conversion camp well and i was just like so it's okay if you're gay i know i was like why are we okay with this person doing but the rest of them aren't yeah um yeah i feel bad for the stewart character but then it doesn't really matter because like he is still ultimately safe and fine yeah yeah which like you know like in real life definitely would not psychologically be no not at all after this but don't worry it's fine because he's family he's family he has toby now and it's like are they brothers is there something romantic between them toby was like joking about it we don't really know it doesn't really matter because it doesn't really mean anything yeah um okay then we have monique kim as veronica lim Veronica is uh, bisexual, uh, sort of token, as you know, yeah. the the alphabet there. They kind of almost, it's weird, like, Veronica is sort of like the angry lesbian stereotype, but it's yeah. almost like they're like, no, but it's okay because she's bisexual. Right. And, like, she's the one who is like, I'm here because I, she's, like, infiltrated the camp, I guess, to, like, write <laughs> a paper but not even really infiltrated because she is like bisexual, but like right. she um, says that she's here because she's writing a college paper on conversion camps. Like she tells Kim this when they're on the dock. To which we all are just like, what? Which I'm like, what the fuck? Like what is that? And I'd be pretty pissed if I was Kim to be like, oh, like you're like, I'm suffering and being forced yeah. here by my family and you're just here to like fuck around and write a paper right. like super weird which um, also kim is in theory in high school and this is a person who's yeah. in college <laughs> yeah and Not great when you think about you it you know yeah so that also brought up questions for me that does bring up questions especially since they whatever fool around have like, sex because on the dock. yeah they 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 have sex on the dock and it's like 
okay, like, I don't know your exact ages, but clearly you all are young enough to be forced here. Right. So you're probably minors. The minors, yeah. So. That's not good. Yeah. Because you're not going to be in college as a minor. No. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. That's yeah. That's I thought good. about it because I didn't. I didn't clock that the first time, but I was like, I'm pretty sure she said that she's writing a paper about that she's here because she's writing a paper about conversion therapy. So poor Kim goes from like one, one predatory older les like queer yeah. woman to another <laughs> to another, and then at the end of it, it's like. Doesn't she say, doesn't Kim say something about like, what are we going to tell them or something about like her parents when like, yeah. they, and it's just like, what are you going to be okay when you go home, you, Kim, now that you've had this okay. sexual awakening with an older woman, an older woman on the docks. Yeah. Questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, like her character feels like such a stereotype. Um, the Veronica, the Veronica character because it's like yeah like she's got the dyed hair she's got the short haircut she's pissed off at everyone like she's very cagey and um has perhaps the most cringeworthy part of the uh the song scene oh no <laughs> we didn't even talk about that with anybody yet right yet we'll um, the roll call. yeah you're um, wrong that is the most yeah. She's the one who like like it definitely like it could have like we could have just let the song die, but when she like re- like she earnestly got into it, it was like oh okay so we're gonna do oh the whole thing. oh we're gonna it's a thing okay yeah yeah um, maybe that's why like you know as I was watching this movie I was like which of these bitches annoys me the most and I was like I think it's Veronica and I couldn't figure out why and I think it's because she does that part in the song yeah. That and again, like at the very least, everyone else has like an interesting sort of tidbit. Like we get nothing out of her except that she, I guess, is lying when she says that she thinks she's a freak because she's bi during group therapy. If the the college thing is to be believed, so you're clearly like fine and okay in your sexuality and just here to like be a voyeur, right? To be your yeah to do this weird like I'm gonna you're gonna what you're gonna blow this story wide open, right? Yeah. Anyway, so. uh, moving on, we've got uh, Darwin Del Fabro as Gabriel Hernandez. The most in like, what is this character here for? What is this character here for? Which you know makes me think to like the inclusion of the character and like the way that um, Darwin Del Fabro was like, you know directed to acted and the reason that he was cast was like to be creepy almost because i feel like this is a character who we don't hear a ton from or about he's just sort of constantly there he's clearly like got a little bit of a thing with stewart like you know or stewart's got a like you know clearly a little bit attracted to him and stuff and like he just comes across as like a sort of creepy person in the background. And then it turns out it's because he actually is a creep. He just actually is a creepy person. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I'm like, is Gabriel meant to like further highlight like the hypocrisy of the counselors? Because he's used as like an entrapment tool. Mm-hmm. Um, for no reason. We're already no at reason, a conversion camp. For no reason. It like he seduces Stuart. They have sex. Um, like aggressive, like 
Yeah, like it's sex, very sex. <laughs> yeah, very clear. They're having sex, sex. Like Stuart tops Gabriel <laughs> in the show. We more or less obviously not see it, see it, but like we get it. Yeah. And then they're like, oh Stuart, you bugger. I'm <laughs> <laughs> for horrifying aversion therapy. Um, but it's like, yeah, but Gabriel also participated in the sex. And And like seemed to enjoy it. And seemed to enjoy it. And it's like, what is the purpose of this? (laughs) And like, okay, were you not going to do aversion therapy on Stuart until right after you did this? Like, I don't understand. Or like if he... And why are you singling out him and not the, like, he's not the only... I mean, I guess, like, you could say, like, okay, were they trying to do that with the counselor lady, or was she just going rogue and being a freak? Yeah. Well, and that's the other element to this, too, right? Like, from a writing perspective, if whatever we're supposed to take from the Gabriel character is, like, hypocrisy, we're already getting that from the counselors. Yeah, the 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 coach guy and his yeah. his weird fiance. Yeah. So it's like, it was it was an odd choice. It's an odd swerve. Um, it's weird. Not a bad performance. Yeah. Just a weird character. No, just just a strange, strange thing that I have questions about. All right, and then almost over the roll call, we have a triple billing for um, the rest of the staff at the camp, beginning with Haley Griffith as Sarah Cahan the activities director who sort of takes charge of all of the female female presenting uh, campers who she's a she's a legitimately like like she comes across first as like a bitchy stepmom yeah and then like becomes insidious like in a again until that scene went over the top i thought the pie scene was very creepy and then it yeah you know you lost me with you know but um she does a good job of being like legitimately like like feels a little bit dangerous. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, she's like she's like a grown up mean girl, and yeah, yeah. there's something really scary about that. Yeah. Um, so good on her. Next we have Boone Platt as Zane Whistler, um, son of the camp owners and Sarah's fiance. He's also the um I don't know coach. I don't know the head, the yeah. head sports guy. Sports sports <sighs> something whatever. He does all the like outdoorsy whatever kind of stuff for the camp and um takes charge of like the guys. Um yeah. and he oh and they also mention that mention that Zane is a reformed uh, yeah because him and that scene where him and um what's her face um sarah like are having sex they both pull up like pictures for the other to look at of like a same-sex person so like clearly they both like went to yeah conversion therapy that is a that i found a disturbing detail that i liked Mm -hmm. there was something really unsettling about them scrolling through photos for each other yeah and then having sex just because of like i think all the implications that comes with that 
Is yeah. like No, I thought that was a very good, like, subtle thing. Because, like, even as they're scrolling through the phones and, like, looking at their photos, it's, like, photo of a hot guy, photo of dinner last night, photo of a nice view at the beach, photo of a hot guy. Like, it was just, like, it's stuff they, like, clear, like, you know, you get the sense that, like, oh, like, they just save this shit on their phones for every time that they, like, right. you know, go to have sex. And, um... and it's so, like, And that idea of like saving pictures of people that you think your fiance will like, like they know enough about each other. Like he's got all the women photos. She's got all the men photos, which also is interesting because it like keeps up the the appearance too. And just that they like know so much about each other's same sex tastes, like Mm -hmm. how long they've been oh like putting like i kind of want their story like what is that what is going on there um like there's clearly some sort of agreement to like yeah i don't keep up with the joneses like be each other's beard while doing this like potentially like you know but they're still so damaged that they're they're doing this to all these other kids who they know are just like them and know won't change because they actually haven't changed yeah so yeah no i thought that was one of the again like kind of like the the therapy session was one of the like the better like the more interestingly and like well done parts that it was like oh this is like fucked up yeah that it is fucked up um those are there is an interesting characters i don't know why zane shouts so much but yeah and then we have Mark Ashworth as Balthazar Riggs. Don't fucking the groundskeeper. Hire anybody to be around children whose name's Balthazar. Balthazar. That's what I said when I rewatched this the other day. I was like, what on God's green earth would you hire <laughs> For your camp in the middle of the woods with children. Oh my God. It's just, there's like this out of sort of left field thing where he's watching the yeah he's watching the showers cameras you can see a sex doll in the background sex doll he has a bunch of dolls right for some reason yeah and then um he's dispatched by the killer and it's not like a gay thing he's just a regular no he's just a regular yeah yeah he's watching the um the women the girls um so he's just like a like a by the numbers Herbert. It's like you know the usual perverts, not the yeah, <laughs> not the the other kind, and yeah, and it's li- he literally exists just so that we have like one kill before the third act. Yeah, which I, you know, like and like obviously, like you know, saying like why did they kill him? Like yeah, so he's obviously a creep and gross. Um, but like from a story standpoint, what set her off to be like, all right? got to get this guy first yeah this guy's going down and he's going down now like what what yeah like you let so much go happen and this is the like you know which like yeah again like he's looking at the cameras it's gross and creepy but um you know why why is he our first our first move yeah it's, it feels like he could have been got sort of like you know on the cleanup sweep right because i guess like the like she's just trying to kill the entire staff and it's like you know, right. I guess you have to kill him just because he's a witness or Riddick. whatever. 
part of it, I guess. Yeah, but like, why? Like, I don't. It's just again, yeah. Like he exists to be um, like a kill before everyone gets killed in the final act. Right. And by everyone, I mean the counselors, not you know any okay. of the main characters. Of course. God forbid the main characters. <laughs> the main characters have something bad happen to them. Scratch. All right, and then finally, last but certainly not least, uh, the credits finish with and Kevin Bacon getting the and as Owen Whistler, the camp owner and director. I mean, obviously he's very good and does he's a lot with um, kind of a goofy, goofy, one-dimensional yet also over-the-top character. Yeah. Yeah, again, there's a lot of lines, I think, that were written for the Owen character that could have gone really south, and Kevin mm-hmm. Bacon did a good job delivering them. Yeah. Uh, he yeah, because is- he does a good job jumping to, like, creepy and mean pretty quickly. Like, the first scene where he gets mean is, like, the shower scene after they find out um, Alexandra, yeah. you know, they find her in the shower. And like he sort of switched, like you know, the nice guy from when they all met, and he was being very nice to Jordan about their gender identity and stuff, and like that's gone, and now he's like a mean right. sort of guy, and like he does that very well, like switching between like you know his own good cop, bad cop thing. Yeah. Yeah, he really delivers. Um... I don't think there's really any surprises with the Owen character. He sort of turns out to be exactly who we thought, again, that one-dimensional thing, but Mm -hmm. it's... Which, like, you know, we don't know why they do it. We know that they've had this camp for generations and have, like, tortured children there, and it's unclear if it's, Their own child, Zane. Yeah, but it's, like, unclear if it's, like, oh, this just started as a place to torture kids and we just jumped on the conversion therapy thing, or they were, like extremely early you know before conversion therapy existed adopters of like does the therapy like has it changed from generation to generation like was it like did they target the mentally ill at one point yeah like it's and then and again like if so like why like what is the what are we getting like are they sadists like yeah they just sadists like do they genuinely i couldn't like i don't know that i there's not really enough there to be like, do these people genuinely believe what they're doing or are they just sadistic? Right. right. Or is it just like a power thing? Yeah. Like, And I, I don't know if that's because we dropped the religion thing. So we don't spend enough time with that to really figure it out. But right. And like his whole thing with them is like, he constantly, he's like, I'm in charge here. Like I'm telling you what to do. So it feels like it's just a power thing. And like, this is what they've, chosen to be like chosen as their sort of like you know way to exert power over people but um again like i I don't think that that um that explains it enough though because it's such a hyper specific focus on and like even to like like have his own kid go there and go through it like at that point it's not a power thing because it's like that's your kid you know in theory like he'll inherit the camp one day so like why are you do you feel the need to like you know yeah so is it it like a legacy thing is it yeah there's not enough there or there's too many like disparate pieces that don't give us enough yeah but yeah so that's 
So that's our roll call. What other like fun things about the making of the movie are worth sharing? Yeah, there's not a ton. Um, you'll notice that the cabins all have a ton of windows. Um, and this was on purpose because they wanted to give the idea that somebody was always watching. Um, mm. Which would have been good if anything had been done with the killer character for the first hour of the movie. Yeah. Um, but um, obviously, as we all know, Kevin Bacon starred in like the most famous camp horror, mm. Friday the 13th. Um, you know, the John Logan said he didn't write, he obviously didn't write this with Kevin Bacon in mind because this was a spec script. So you're not going to like write something and be like, Boring. and Kevin Bacon's clearly going to star in this. But he said it was a nice sort of um, thing that happened to help sort of tie it into the, the camp horror genre. Interestingly, in the same state park, just across the lake from Cape Camp Lutridge, Rut, <laughs> Lutridge, Rutledge, is Camp Daniel Morgan, uh, which was the location for Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Jason Lives, as yeah. we discussed in our episode, Andre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, that's, that's a fun little tidbit. Fun little tidbit. That is fun. So, uh, as we touched on earlier, um, I was like, what is the name of this movie? They, <laughs> they slash them was released uh, on Peacock on August 5th, 2022. It hasn't even been a year, actually. Yeah. Um, and as a direct-to-streaming release, Universal has not released any figures for either the budget of the movie or any potential gross because the way that would be calculated is probably strange and difficult. Um, yeah. And so those figures aren't really available. Positive reviews um, praise the strong cast as well as the inclusive premise. But negative reviews, which were the majority, said the film was ultimately too tame. It did not engage with the thorny political implications inherent in the material that the message was heavy handed and that the film was too wrapped up in sending the message that being queer is not a choice, that it forgot to be a horror film. Yeah, I and, agree. Oh yeah, these are all critiques we've touched on and um, are also in agreement with. And then from a stats perspective, They Slash Them has a Rotten Tomato score of 34%, a Metacritic uh, rating of 46, an IMDb rating of 3.9, and a letterbox of 1.6. That's rough. That letterbox is rough. That is rough. As of this recording, actually, I just uh, checked uh, the spreadsheet that I keep of every film that we've ever covered. <laughs> they slash them has the lowest ratings in IMDb and letterbox for any of the movies we've ever covered. Nice. Okay. But, um, you know, <laughs> you know, I do think the 1.6 is rough, but you know, letterbox wow. scoring like metrics and sort of trends better than I do. Um, yeah, and letterbox, letterbox is like big film people, right? They're people who love film, they're people who like want films to be good. And not like highbrow necessarily, but they just want them to be good and they want mm. good representation a lot of the times. And I don't think they such them 
falls into check those boxes fortunately um I don't think I my personal letterbox rating for this film is um I gave it a two out of five stars so I didn't put it quite that low um but what are you gonna do yeah and uh we won't we've done we've dug into a little bit of analysis throughout our conversation um but shall we you know maybe touch on some things we didn't get to yeah so did we i mean didn't get to i'm trying to look i'd say like the biggest thing is like and the more you know egregious thing is that this movie came out at a time which is obviously still now when like there's a ton of stuff going around about like banning lgbt stuff in schools like you know preventing minors from seeking gender affirming care like removing kids from parents who allow them to seek gender affirming care and all this other stuff so it's like it would be nice if the film like were to engage with that aspect of it because like while we think of conversion like first of all conversion camps still exist like right they're legal in most of the states in the country though like many like obviously like a lot of them don't have them like technically they are legal in more than half of the country but you know i think of people i think people think of them as kind of like a relic of like the past like after um like the obergefell ruling people like great we won gay rights it's over right (laughs) you know like now we can move past this and like we're all fine with with gay people and it's chill and it's like okay like even if that's you know in some level true in terms of like you know that part of queer culture being like sort of ingrained in society in a way now where you know like it's like okay yeah like you know we're used to seeing gay characters in like mainstream movies now and like seeing you know in tv shows and that sort of thing you know there's still a lot of like identities like in the queer like spectrum that are like not safe um or not you know as like closer to being as close to being safe as you know you know just you know general like gay lesbian bisexual people are and i feel like you know if with a film that does have so many characters who are dealing with um you know not just sexuality stuff but gender stuff like it would be nice to be like acknowledging that aspect of it because you know ostensibly this movie takes place in present time so like why is nobody there because you know, they live in Florida or right. something, um, you know, and like, oh, my parents made me come here because like, you legally have to send me here in the state before I'm allowed to seek therapy and like that sort of thing. Like, yeah. you know, I just feel like it exists in sort of like a like a historical time Probably. period where it's just like, oh, yeah, just general people hating queer people and not like the specifics of like this is happening now and it's like happening like right outside you know yeah it's almost like i mean and i think some of the critiques and the negative reviews get at this like it's almost irresponsible to not engage enough with that political context um because it just sort of glosses over it entirely as an end result and that's i mean is it every sort of like queer lace film's responsibility to go into that no not necessarily but the subject matter of this film it 
it does it does belong here i think yeah did not include it as a disservice to the to the community at large particularly those who are even more marginalized within an already marginalized community right yeah so i think that's like you know if you're going to engage with this to the level that john logan like clearly wanted to Mm -hmm. um with the you know characters that he included and the like sort of tidbits of their stories then like you need to like really go for it and i feel like again it would have been better served by having like one or two main characters instead of trying to like hit you know name dropping every single identity you can without like really going into their stories right um so that's my big thing yeah i i'm in complete agreement and i think I think we're not alone in that. And I think that's a a valid way that the film has been perceived. Yeah. So, um, you know, our next section is one good scare. And that's where we talk about what we think is the most frightening moment of this film. Um, it's, it kind of fails as a slasher film because as we've talked about, there is no slashing throughout. There's just a quick <laughs> end massacre. Um, I think it's horror just comes from the circumstances. I, I don't know. I find the aversion therapy scene probably the most. Yeah. And I think, you know, that I definitely found very frightening because it felt very real. It was kind of like the most violence we got. Like, I know like people get like hacked or whatever with an ax, but you don't really see any of the actual violence that happens. That's a good point. And it's the only time that a queer body experiences physical violence. Right. Correct? Um, it's that, yeah. And then when, like, um, Gabriel is also then, like, you know, gets hooked up to it for, like, the vengeance. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, which I also found creepy with that, like, seeing, like, you know, like, the, like, the burns on, on, um, their chests and stuff like I found that very creepy but yeah like that definitely was like the most real to like this is what they do in these camps and like seeing it um you know and just imagining like being in that situation where you're like you know going through that is like horrifying um to think about um without even just thinking about like the physical like implications of it um yeah so yeah I'd say that's probably my mine as well you mentioned earlier and then we kind of just touched again on it now uh issues you have regarding the ending um yeah let's talk about that because normally our next section would be the view from the closet but that's the entire movie and so <laughs> maybe we'll replace that with some talk about the ending yeah so i just find like you know the whole like first of all like Chekhov's not like very like this like Chekhov's yeah. defiant non-gun um was frustrating as a you know just period but you know the fact that it's like no like fuck that this guy doesn't deserve like why are we mad at at, at this woman for getting like she should get revenge on this guy like like I hate <laughs> the like whole like moral high ground shit because I'm like, mm. no, fuck this guy and fuck people like this. Like, yeah, like, you know what? He's doing, you know, all this stuff's going down. You've got a gun pointed at him. Like, you know, like, do whatever. But, like, the the way that it was, like, like, I'm strong enough not to do this was, like, he doesn't deserve that. Like, 
and that doesn't make you like like there's not something you're overcoming here like like the whole like it's not like it's not like jordan was struggling with this thing where like he was violent or he hurt some but like he lashed out at all the bullies or you know something and then like now they're they're strong enough not to um it's kevin bagan's character oh and not strong enough not to and you know like oliver right um like why do they like why is this such a big deal that they don't shoot aside from just like that sort of like very after school especially like moral whatever high ground stance yeah. and the, it's like, whole, like when they go low we go high like that's what this ends up being about and that's and it's like who does that serve because and like again that to me is like a historical because it's like okay like right now am i gonna be like oh they're going low so i'm gonna go high it's like no like people are like genuinely in danger like with the climate right now like i don't care about the moral high ground here (laughs) like you know like and i think it just sends the wrong message of like you know and i'm not saying like go out there and like you know beat people up or like go commit violence but like the idea of like well we're better than them and at the end of the day that's all that matters and we will walk away from this knowing that we made the right choice and we're the better person it's like no okay like this is there are actual physical stakes here um so i just find that frustrating before a movie that doesn't let its main characters its main queer characters get dirty or flawed in any way it's exactly how this movie would end. Yeah. Because if Jordan were to kill Owen, that's too that's too morally complicated for the movie, you know? Right. Like it's not as clearly heroic um as the ending that we get. It's, and so it's another it's just sort of another like and everyone is safe and Jordan is and Jordan is okay because, you know, they didn't compromise their values or whatever. Right. Um, so I just I just took issue with like, you know, this weird just like <laughs> message with that. You're like, fuck him up. Yeah, no, and like, or even like, okay, even if you don't, like I don't need the like, I'm strong enough not to do this, and you're wrong for being angry and getting revenge. Like, okay, what was her alternative? Because she clearly was like <laughs> like <laughs> emotionally broken by um like yeah. what happened here and like needs help and stuff but like you're like like they're gonna belittle her for for, for the, like like i'm better than you because i'm not being a violent not being vengeful person like i don't know it just it felt like such a weird out of left field like nothing up until this point has fed into like this being the message at the end of the day right and because i don't i don't really I don't know that the film knows what its message is supposed to be aside from the very like surface level, like it's okay to be gay. Right. You know? Yeah. People who are watching this movie don't need that message. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That's the thing is the people who are going to seek this movie out and watch it. Like that's not something that they, they need. Yeah. So um, I think for our last segment, legacy, legacy, what is a legacy? Um, there's really only one thing to truly talk about. I think the 
only legacy of this movie is the uh, pink lip sync yes. perfect um, sequence. It is long. It is. It is it's like the whole movie or the whole song rather. It's like that whole song. And it is the definition of cringe. Yeah. Well, because it starts out and you're like, are they? Because it... <laughs> it starts out as like a conversation. And then you realize very quickly, <laughs> oh, she's quoting Pink. Like the song. Yep. And then as soon as you realize it is when she starts singing it and like starts really getting into it. And then um, the toughest, there are two parts that are the worst part for me. The first is when Veronica gets up and does like the pseudo rap that happens in the song. And the second is when Stuart does his knee slide. That comes out of nowhere. It does. Um, Especially since he's like, he's like the cut before. He's like looking pissed. He's like like, judging that. He's looking like the only normal person in the room. (laughs) Exactly. He is looking like the only normal person in the room. And then we literally like smash cut to him like sliding down the length of the cabin fully into this performance. And it's like, what? How is that earned for the Stuart character? He's so like resistant to all this kind of stuff. What is happening? Oh, crap. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, (laughs) and that is the most like, again, like going back to the like, post glee like that is truly coming out of like that culture of like yeah you know like we're gonna pick the most lowest you know and no offense to pink like i love pink but the most lowest common denominator song like imaginable truly (laughs) and if i may in relation to this i would like to read you um some of the top reviews on letterboxd for this Actually, the very top one is no sane gay person would ever vogue to fucking perfect by pink. Please. I I also saw when he was voguing that song and I was like, are you fucking 12 in 2010? Like, are you Uh, Someone else said, I don't know if the gays listen to pink like this, do they? (laughs) I I don't think so. Someone else who gave the film one star. Uh, I guess I should be I should be attributing. Um, the first review was by Clementine. The second one was by uh, Dial Abbey, and this one by Heather says, "If the killer at the end was revealed to be Pink, I would have given this five stars." <laughs> <laughs> and then um, yeah. two more that I think are great. Amanda the Jedi says. I inflicted homophobia on myself by watching this. <laughs> and uh, Sam Rosenberg says in his uh, one and a half star review, that slash sucked. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> that slash sucked. It, it is a bummer because I do think it came from a place of like earnestness. It just, it was like, what, yeah. um, what were you doing? Yeah, I think a lot was just, lost in translation yeah um but i would uh, like to think that um it still makes for interesting conversation because i do think 
it's still valuable to watch to, and think about what's not working. Right. Um, as we've kind of done this episode. Yeah. And like what, you know, you would like to see in this, um, you know, type of space and like getting yeah. more of these movies. It's just like, okay, how can we do it better? Yeah. There's actually a really great um, gay slasher I love from like 2004 called Hellbent um, that I think does horror and sort of queer spaces well. Uh, If anyone's interested, check it out out there. You're not going to get quite as much um, across the board representation like in They Slash Them. It is focused primarily on gay men, but um, there's different times in the early 2000s and I still mm-hmm. think anywho uh, we're just about ready to be done but Miss Mel has one last closing question for us. I do and this is kind of two questions in one Miss Mel has two last <laughs> closing questions the first is did you ever go to like a sort of sleepaway summer camp and second if so and if not, then hypothetically, what was your favorite sort of like camp activity that, that you did? Um, I was a camp kid. Mm-hmm. I went to a uh, sleepaway camp. Um, I went to the first camp three for three years in a row. And then I switched and I went to a different camp for another two years in a row. Um, okay. So yeah, I was definitely a camp kid. They were actually both church affiliated. They were both mm-hmm. in the Presbyterian church. Um, grew up in the Presbyterian church. But aside from like, I don't know, like singing hymns and stuff at the end of the day around the fire, it was mostly just traditional camp activities. Um, my favorite of which was Capture the Flag because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, we always played it um, like across the whole camp and like everybody played and we usually played it like after dinner and so the sun was going down and you just all these like crazy things where you could like hide in trees and like sometimes the games would last for hours but it was so much fun Mm -hmm. Uh, and one year my friend like the best friend I had in the cabin I was staying at and then like our like best girlfriend who was in like the corresponding cabin for the girls Mm. we pulled off like the greatest stunt ever where we crossed enemy lines Uh convinced the other team that we were on the team with them and that we were like taking back um like if you got captured you had to go to jail right or whatever Mm -hmm. maybe be free we were taking someone back to jail they let us pass without checking our bandanas to see what team we were on. And then we stole the flag and we won the game. It was absolutely epic. I still remember in vivid detail to this day. Well, that's fun. It's pretty great. How about you? Um, I was never a camp kid. Um, the one time I really did anything close to a sort of sleepaway camp was in, I want to say sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. We had a... Um, like school affiliated and like run weekend where we went up to a camp and they called it like science camp or something like that, like for the weekend. And um, we did a lot of like, like I remember two things vividly from this. One is we went over 
we snuck over to the boys' cabin one night just to, like, fuck around with them and saw that they were having the biggest fucking pillow fight. <laughs> like, it was such a reversal. What a reversal! <laughs> it was all the girls snuck over to the boys' cabin. We were watching them from the woods because they were, oh, in, like, you could God. see, it was, like, a huge, like, sort of, like, big block of windows you could see inside. And they were having a huge fucking pillow fight. <laughs> like, all these, oh. like, 10, 15 boys. <laughs> That is hilarious. Like, it was truly, like, we stumbled in on something that was, like, it was halfway through something. Like, we were just walking, right. we were like, what? Like, it's kind of like that that thing from Community where he walks into the flaming room yeah. or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what it felt like. So I remember that. And then oh, in terms of activities. Like, it just feels like you guys should have been, like, are we supposed to do a boxer raid now? Yeah, like, I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, what started this? Um, so that sticks in my mind and then um the the one activity we did was basically like a fun thing with a compass where you like had to go into the woods and like orienteer essentially like you had instructions oh, cool. to go like you know like 50 steps northeast and then you have to find like targets and stuff and i found That's that fun cool. that would be really cool I, yeah we never did any orienteering that would be cool nice mm-hmm. yeah well, t- yeah, tis the season for camping and getting out there and enjoying nature and also, you know, getting your rainbow on. Um, yeah. Happy Pride Month, Shatterers. Yeah. We hope it's a lot more um, exciting and meaningful to you than it maybe was for the they slash them characters. Yeah. <laughs> um but, but but they come out all right in the end so yeah well you know who knows emotionally and psychologically right how they come out but physically they're all fine physically they're fine um and we want you guys to be physically fine and emotionally fine and psychologically fine and if you want to share your thoughts about they slash them or uh queer horror or really anything uh, you can do that anytime and um where can they find us to do that, Miss They can find us at uh, on Twitter at splatterchatter666. Um, minus all the vowels, you can just search us up in the search bar. We'll pop right up. You can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can send an ask on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. And you can leave a comment on the blog at splatterchatterpodcast.com and do keep an eye on the blog chatterers because near the end of this month as uh pride is going to close out um gonna have a little uh little treat there to keep the gay going all year round as it were so uh you know just check out the website when you get a when you get a sec Nice. And I think, unless there's anything we've missed, anything we've left behind in the cabin, we are ready to close out episode 110, yes? I think so. All right. Well, in that case, Shatterers, once again, do you have a happy pride. Be sure to keep up the creep. And for now, we will say au revoir, adios, and dust time.